welcome to selfdiscoveryradio.com, where we bring you insightful, liberating, intuitive people from around the globe. They share their life's journeys and experience wisdom to guide you on your own discovery of self. Each week from Tuesday to Monday, we will bring you new shows on our many genres, and with over 1,400 shows, we have the answers for you. Enjoy your listening on selfdiscoveryradio.com. Welcome to The Pursuit of Wholeness. I am your host today, Sarah Troy, and I'm interviewing Sam Hawksmore, an author who has written many, many a book and really, really does enjoy bringing you books of adventure. Um, it really leaves you thinking. There's always a wonderful love story. There's always something kind of political that's going on there. And you put that book down and it doesn't leave you. It makes you keep thinking about it and going back over it. And that is always a mark of a good book to me. We're going to be talking about his latest books, J and K Forever, and a few more that he has written. Um, books are something that Sam Hawksmore has done his whole life. It's, it really is his passion. It's his inspiration. And uh, he also runs a magazine called um, Hack Writers Magazine, uh, which he's been going now for over 17 years. Uh, you can clearly see pa writing is a passion, uh, a conviction, and uh, something that Sam does very, very well. So we're going to take his journey today on his books, his latest book and what it's about, and all the other books and what draws him to the genres that he writes about and how does he find his plots, what inspires him on his stories, what's his discipline behind it, and how you can get the books and become a very avid reader of his many books. Welcome to the show, Sam. Hi. Hi, Sarah. So the latest book that you've written is J and K Forever, and it's about a post-apocalypse book. Uh, it has a love story in it. It's the future on this planet uh, about uh, violence and destruction. I think we're there already. Um, and but I love the way always you in every one of your books you bring in a situation that's happening in the world right now or could happen or on the verge of it and there's always a lot of fact in your books and then you bring in the lovely story of fiction there's always a love story in it there's always um, kind of some form of uh, destruction or tenure that people are running from and you always find a solution and a way out of it um, and it really makes you think and always makes you put down the book and, and rethink it over um, over and over again. So let's start off with this latest book, J&K Forever, and a little bit of the storyline that's going on here and what inspired it. Well, I'm going to just read you the first paragraph, give you a sort of flavor of it, really. Jane and listened as Martha lay dying on the hill. The wounds on her body were festering and angry. No one knew how she'd got there or why she'd been attacked, although she was obviously in great pain. No one could help her. It was strictly forbidden. Pity could get you whipped and blew out. And that gives you flavor straight away. Of, uh, how <laughs> no one pity. could help her. I mean, this is something that we were saying to people. Don't just look on, you know, help people. Why could no, no I help her? I was a bit inspired, really, by what's happening with ISIS in Syria. Um... You know, there is no pity. People are beheaded, stoned, uh, murdered daily for doing nothing, you know. Yeah. And so it's inspired by that, really. And what if that really came to America? Yes, well, I think we kind of have already touched on that, that it's uh, already at the gates there, if not already quite immersed in the society, um, just under a different disguise. And uh, I think it's, it's a test on humanity, isn't it? Is how much are we going to stand by and just watch? And yeah. are we going to step up yeah, and take obviously action? Obviously, yeah, a story about two young kids who love each other, but in, it's an, in, a, in a world where love is prohibited. Oh, could you imagine that? Oh, without love, what are we? Uh, we're nothing. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and I suppose, you know, I mean, there's the, the one thing I love about the, what the Pope says is um, I don't care what faith you are as long as it's based in love and kindness. And I think this is something that we really need to kind of go back to because it's the mark of what humanity is, isn't it? But mm. with, with something like ISIS and with this kind of doctrine that's going in throughout the thread here now, people are bec uh, becoming scared to be kind or, or scared uh, to love. 
Well, yes, certainly under that system. So, you know, it's not strictly based on that, obviously, just taking that as a theme. But looking 60 years ahead, and um, it's, you know, to particularly go into all the details of how we got into the situation, it is in the book. But when you think about all of the different scenarios that could happen, so, you know, uh, in a society where you can't use the oil, for instance, because it's been contaminated or a virus that takes place, it doesn't matter what they do, the effects are catastrophic for humanity. And so I didn't, wouldn't want to write a book about that. I wanted to write about 60 years on. Mm-hmm. What would the like? And does love win out? Because that's what we always want to know. You know, does love win out? And of course, that's up to us, isn't it, as a society, is what are we going to feed? Are we going to feed the fear? Are we going to feed the love? And and it's finding our way back to love, isn't it? Which is what I notice you always do in your books, is that love is there, it gets challenged. um, And basically, you have to find your way back to it. You have to honor the love and not take it for granted. Um, Yes, well, first, you know, to, to live in a world where it's not permitted. Um, but, you know, the two kids have grown up in an orphanage together from birth, you know, and are devoted to each other. But um, in this particular world, girls, once they've sort of come towards 16, are sold off to the higher, highest bidders. Girls aren't educated, only boys are. And we all know where that comes from, too. You know? Yes. So. Yeah, I, I've, I've done many a show on... Uh, you know, on child brides and um, and uh, this the slavery, sex slavery, and, and all of that realm, and it's very, very prevalent. It's not just yeah. in the movies; it's definitely having on. And that's something what I love about you as a writer is the fact that you do take events and things that are happening in the world and present it in a different way. Um, you have another book here that I know has been written a few times: "Another Place to Die," the End Time Chronicles. Um, I know it kind of always starts off so bleak, but you always insert hope into everything that you write. Uh, let's tell the, um, the people a little bit about the uh, Another Place to Die. Well, Another Place to Die, End Time Chronicle Chronicles, is based um, in Vancouver area and also in the Baja down in Mexico. And it's a, there's a worldwide pandemic. So imagine in your worst scenario that it's um, in a world where antibiotics no longer work. Well, we're very close to that yeah. right now. Yeah. So superbugs have already, uh, actually just in the news this weekend, overwhelmed a test in Los Angeles, the drug company. So we're looking at a world where in the future when something we're faced with something like a really super Ebola and that there is no, no fix and it gets into the wide, wider world population, um, where do you run? How do you hide from it? And if you do, who's going to let you come ashore, as it, as it were? So it's about young teens who escape Vancouver, go out into the Gulf Islands. But, of course, it's very difficult to land anywhere because people are protecting their islands and they're from infection. And uh, it becomes quite scary. But you're right. It's also about how do we survive this? What are our survival skills? And I quite like survival numbers because it, it tests, tests humans. To, to the limit. And we're not really talking about toughness here. It's psychological as well as uh, physical, you know. And, you know, when you are looking at things like, um, you know, uh, uh, viruses and diseases, I mean, you know, the, why is the show The Walking Dead so popular? And there's a few other shows that have come out, a new one right now called Containment. And it is about how fast these particular viruses take over. And there isn't the weapon against them. You know, if, you, if somebody's, um, you know, charging your country, you can take up arms against them. How do you take up arms against something that you have no weapon against? And uh, I think it changes the way people uh, completely perceive life and one another. And uh, um, paranoia, of course, obviously sets in. And it's how do you keep your humanity in, in that test? And I think that is something that uh, we really yeah. do have to question ourselves completely on it. Um, it's a great book. I've read it uh, and, and I love it. And again, it's the hope that you bring into it, the reality that slaps you in the face, that makes you think once you put the book down, but also the hope that you bring into it. And in a lot of ways, a lot of your books are always that code of how to stay as a human person and let love win out. Well, hopefully, yes. <laughs> but also, I mean, uh, in that particular book, Kira and her dog read... Um, you know, it's also about bonding 
and it was uh, and very particular to you know people tend to think about so many TV shows just about people etc you know in difficult circumstances but you know a dog in the family is just as important mm -hmm. what will a girl do to say you know got to make a choice well she's going to keep her dog try and keep her dog alive and of course the dog is going to try and keep her alive you know yes. I wanted that to be very important too now, dogs features a lot in, in uh, a lot of your books, because I know you're an absolute dog lover, as I am. And, uh, but it's not just you know, keeping the dog alive because, you know, it's a dog and it's cute in the story. It is that um, I think kind of dogs, in a lot of sense, bring more humanity to the situation. They, yeah, they humanize the characters in, in your books. It's, I actually tell you, it's really hard to keep your dogs going, <laughs> as it were, in stories. Particularly like Panda, when are you going to feed it on, you know? And then they'd be looking at the dog and thinking, hmm, that's a might make, make him good lunch. <laughs> but anyway. So uh, in my new book, in uh, JNK Forever, there's a dog to a tracker dog that is sent after the, um, the, two, the teens. And um, but the enforcers, the enforcers are pretty evil, and they're all women too, which is on horseback. And, um, and they have a tracker dog called Yip. And Yip sort of changes sides for a while, but it's bred to betray, mm. and so uh, you know, it's uh, quite a nice little uh, thing that's going on there with that dog in there because it knows, she knows too, that it will betray her at um, any point, you know, and it can't help it, you know, because that's what it's got to do. Yeah, exactly, and yet you know that love is still there um, because yeah. yes. Uh, uh, you know, the dogs come first. <laughs> and I know how hard it has been for you to keep the dogs alive in your movies, in your books. Yes, uh, absolutely. You know, uh, but no, you couldn't kill them off, I know. Um, there's another book of yours that really had, you know, uh, one I've conversed with a lot of people on is The Repercussions of Thomas D. And, you, you know, it, it is a really, I think it's a book that should actually be in the schools. And it is about a kid that... Um, uh, accidentally goes through time back in time with his cell phone into the wartime just give us a little synopsis on that well yes now young Thomas is obsessed with uh, World War II uh, mostly because he broke his leg and was so long in bed with it um, uh, his best friend Gabriella gave him all of his father's war videos and he rearranged them alphabetically so he watched the entire war by by month by month so he knows all about the war just as a boy would who becomes obsessed by that kind of thing and he and he has nightmares about waking up um, or rather going into a bunker that gets bombed and this is based on a true life uh, story because I wrote this in Portsmouth in the UK um, there's one particular night where a whole bunch of people went to go into the uh, bunker as the bombers come over and um, this is an eyewitness account, 400 bombers come over. That's a lot. Mm. Uh, absolutely destroy the port. And one of the bombs drops directly on the uh, bunker and kills everybody but the boy. And this is true life story because I met the guy and he wrote a, a story about him being the only person to survive. Everybody burned alive but him. Wow. And so it starts from there. But I take this boy uh, when he comes staggered out of it, it's back in 1941. And, um, and of course, he thinks, well, I know how the war turns out. I could be really useful. <laughs> but of course, the problem is the only person that believes him is a German spy, and it changes everything. And this so, is why I think it actually should be, um, you know, something that should be in the schools. Because, you know, today, you know, kids don't believe that there was ever a world before cell phones and Twitter and Instagram and tablets and you know all of this instant 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 gratification stuff and uh, you know I think uh, you know obviously what happens in this book without giving too much away is that world has changed radically um, and so you know force kids to go back and look at how things were and how they could have been had the tide turned a different way um, might kind of teach them a little appreciation of what they have today there's hope in that, of course. <laughs> Maybe. But of uh, course, you, uh, I mean, one of the, the tricks of that, the whole time travel thing, is it takes you away from having to use phones and all the rest of it, or, you know, uh, Googling a map to find out where to go next or what to do. So the idea is you've got to find out. Um, it's actually harder and harder and harder now to write uh, young fiction 
with phones because it just makes it it's like they can google the end of the book <laughs> they know what's going to happen next. oh yeah it's in chapter 16 yeah yeah, yeah um, exactly. and it's really difficult so it's a real challenge for writers now I think technology as such but um, I was heartened to see the other day um, that Foxconn who built all the iPhones have fired half their workers and replaced them with 60,000 robots. So Philip K. Dick's future of we're all in a world run by robots is coming true so fast it's just ridiculous, you know. I mean, you know, we can make anything happen, you know, if that, if that imagination is there. I mean, you know, look at uh, 20 years ago, um, you know, with the cell phones, you know, the, the big blocks and what they are today even look at computers, look at the TV. I mean, just, just look at what's happened in the last hundred years. And so all this sci-fi that used to be too far-fetched and would never happen, as you said, if we can manifest it in a movie or in, in an idea, there's somebody that's actually actualized it and made it happen. So we've got to be a little careful of what we uh, imagine them happening. <laughs> yeah, well, well, there are, aren't any limits on uh, imagination, but yeah, there are consequences. Yes. People and idea, as it were, but... Uh, yeah, that's half the fun, though, isn't it? Imagining what our future would be like. And it's sort of... It's uh, very concerning. Right now, in France, as we speak, um, the country's paralysed. All the workers have gone on strike to prevent people getting the petrol, diesel. Now it's possibly electricity, too. Well, add a virus to that. Yes. And you'd be surprised how fast civilization can break down. Um, you take electricity out of a country, a modern country, it will take you three days for all the food to rot because most of the food is frozen. Yeah. And all the food that's stored, you know, is kept in chilled, refrigerated areas. That includes vegetables, etc. So imagine that, three days. Well, then things are interesting. You're taking away the electricity. That means, you know, all the phones and, and uh, everything else along with it yeah. too that people have become so reliant on. And they Your banking. Your ATMs, yeah. everything. Abs yeah. Absolutely everything. And that means people have now got to be reliant on each other. But then, of course, the distrust is up there. Have you got the virus? You know, do you yeah. want what I've got? And, of course, the you know, whole anarchy and everything kind of um, builds yeah. up. Yeah. And the test of mankind is really at our doorstep at the present moment of which way we could go and, uh, you know, what we need to do to prevent. And I think we're really at that crossroads at the present moment. Is this what draws you to this kind of genre of, of doom? Uh, I think I've always been a bit gloomy, I think. Yes. <laughs> um, I, uh, you know, I always like to think of, oh, well, what could happen next? And I perhaps go to the, the dark side, as it were, thinking about what it all means. But at the end of the day, even Thomas goes back to 1941. Well, in the end, it's about humanity. It's about um, the people he meets, trying to convince them of, of things. And no one's going to believe you. If you went back in time now, you know, no one's going to believe you. It's just—it's not possible. I was only thinking about it the other day. Someone asked me about, you know, who would you like to meet back in history, and you think, well, you know what? I sort of would like to go back, but just remember, most of the people you talk to will smoke. <laughs> they haven't had a bath in about two years, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, um, it's pretty stinky. <laughs> you just got to be, uh, you know. It's. Uh, I always think that people, there's a new show just starting here called Versailles, which is the uh, pretty real about the Palace of Versailles and Louis the Fourteenth and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I mean, you know, they built a palace for what thousand rooms and only six toilets. Oh God, yes. Exactly. Yeah, think about it. So people are just like you know went everywhere. Nice. Yeah, there is a show called Outlander that's done that because somebody has gone back two hundred years into time. And, uh, right. and completely living that world with the knowledge that she knows and she comes from the, the 40s just after the war and it's quite intriguing I always find that quite fascinating with what you yeah. know today and if you went back in time how much effect could you have and it's um, but you know it's history surprisingly little in many yeah, respects exactly because like in a way what needs to happen has to happen and you can have very little impact on changing the bigger outcome yeah. of things yeah Although, you know, obviously I enjoyed that film, Butterfly Effect, you know, yes. years ago. Because uh, I thought it was quite good, actually. I mean, although it's a shame about who they starred in it, but it was a good, good well done. 
But uh, I don't always write about doom and gloom, although let me think about that. Yes, I do. Um, <laughs> But I there's always book. a loop in it. That's the whole thing about it. And and this is where I say <laughs> your reality is there because you bring about the doom and gloom of the reality of today, that that crossroads of where do you want to go, humanity, is the question that you have in there. But you always manage to pre uh, present the human solution, you know, that really it always comes down to us and our actions and that our actions will dictate whether we survive or not. And that's in every book that you put in there. Thursday, it's not just about that too, it's also about, uh, I think about everything really, weather, food, how, how we live, um, trust, all those sort of things are very important when you're writing a book, how characters trust each other or distrust, you know, uh, everything, it's all part of the elements of writing and enjoyable thinking about all of that, you know. Well, again, you know, we're at that crossroads again in life where, you know, are we willing to trust people or have we gone so paranoid? You know that everything has become about distrust and uh, uh, you know me mine myself and uh, I'm not going to do anything for mankind and and it's um I think this well let's not talk about Trump okay <laughs> yes <laughs> he's the epitome of that right now yes it's but it's, like, not it's like a him. science fiction nightmare movie isn't it Trump in a way so uh, yeah let's not get if somebody written a book on it it would have been considered a comedy. Yeah. And, you know, nobody would have thought that could have been a reality. But at the same time, it's a reflection of where people are at. And it's uh, and again, it becomes that choice that we have to make. Uh, is that what you want to feed? Um, but it's also quite weird in the sense that you think about the millennials and all the other, you know, I mean, the young people out there today. Who are they talking about? They're talking about all these people who are in their 70s, which is Trump and Hillary and uh, Bernie. They were old. Well, where are the young people? Where are the people with ideals? Why aren't they running for uh, governor? Why aren't they running for president? Yeah. You know, where are the young people? Yeah, except That's for that Bernie Sanders has more young people, more millennials following him. Yes, but why? Why, are, because he is, why isn't someone of 35 or 40 running, running for uh, president? Because I think in a lot of ways what we're seeing with millennials is like, I just don't want to go down the road of my father's. Uh, or my grandfather's, I, you know, I to, you know, they've completely repelled against, uh, uh, you know, what's going on in the world. And if you look at who the Trump followers are, they, you know, they are the, the Generation X plus. Uh, very few of the millennials are following them because, uh, you know, they they look upon him as what the problem was, and they've walked away from that. Bernie, despite his age, is presenting a solution and is speaking to them about a future they feel they can be a part of. Um, but yes, why the young people haven't stepped up, I don't know. If they want to be a part of the solution, they better step up. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, so that's also what I write about. I write about young people stepping up. Yes. Uh, making decisions, even if they're wrong ones, but making decisions and trying to just get by and survive and make a difference. And that's why I write these books, really. It's about young people making a difference in whatever situation I throw them into, you know. Well, you've thrown Marika into a, um, a situation here, which is another book. Um, well how about telling everybody a little bit about her and her journey? Well, Marika is, the, is, is a sad story because it's based on a, a, a sort of loosely based on a true story about a man who had a dispute with the tax man and didn't want to, they were going to repossess his home and everything. So he came home, burnt, and we're talking a big home. This is uh, in an area where I live here burn the house down, burn the family down, burn the stables down, the horses, everything. Just, you know, the taxman's not going to get anything. And Marika is the daughter that survives. But she runs from the fire because she feels she'll be blamed because she had a history when she was nine of burning down a shed because of fireworks and whatever. She's not a arsonist, but nevertheless, she, she believes she's And... Um, so it's uh, that's that story, and you know it's got a very sad start to it. But again, it's about a girl finding her role. She comes to the aid of uh, another young runaway, and meanwhile, unbeknownst to her, it's her real father has been looking for her for years, and he enlists the help of a young psychic girl, and they try to follow the trail of Marika. And um, so you've got two, two elements to the story. The father looking for the daughter and the daughter trying to stay hidden so she won't be discovered. Right. 
And of course, the, the psychic that you have here is based on a real person that you met in Spain. So you yeah. take a lot of from reality and, and immerse it into your storytelling. Yeah, this, this girl was quite amazing. She's called Anya in real life. And uh, she was a waitress in Spain and in a cafe I was writing the book in. And uh, she had started life in South America and had been forced to tell fortunes, etc., by her, I think her uncle, I can't remember now. And, uh, but uh, she managed to escape that in the end and ended up in Spain. And there uh, was quite a fascinating tale of, uh, of a girl who'd been forced from a very young age into a family tradition of telling fortunes, whether she's any good at it or not, you know, and, um, and then managing to somehow escape it. And it's almost a book on itself, you know, but uh, uh, she was a fascinating character. And, and, you know, this is not untrue. You know, um, I have come across people that have been forced into their trade because, mm -hmm. you know, that's the way the family has been. And it's whether they're suited to it, want to do it or not. You know, there is that forcing to follow that path. And the only, uh, only thing they have is, is to uh, do it or run from it. And, of course, running from it is so very unknown. And who knows what's out there? So, you know, quite a challenge great, in itself. As I was writing, I handwrite all my books, and so as I was writing it, she would snatch the pages away from me between customers' reading, and then she would angrily come back and say, no, 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 I wouldn't do that, I wouldn't do this, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so you really got a really great interpretation. Yeah, yeah, it was great. She was great, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, those are that's three of mine, and... Um, and yeah, there's many, many, many more. Those are just kind of the recent ones. So, yeah. you know, um, you, you know, you, your, your genre is kind of the doom and the hope that comes out of it and that challenge to mankind to, to overcome. Um, do you ever get writer's block? You know, is, is it easy for you to write? Is there a discipline behind it? Um, I don't really get writer's block, but what I do do is I have a, you know, quite often then I have a period where, oh, gosh, where's the next story going to come from? You just never know. And then something will happen. And I think, oh, that's it. That's what it's going to be. Um, or it could be something simple, like, uh, where did the dog come from in JNK? Uh, yip. Well, because I was looking after a friend's dog and who was an out-of-control puppy called Mr. Trouble. <laughs> and uh, he's great. And I actually saw him last night, and um, they took him to a barbecue, and he went berserk, and he, like, jumped up on the table snatched hamburgers out of people's hands, went up to little children, stole their cakes, and then dashed off and ate it. And yeah, he was out of control completely. But um, he's adorable, nevertheless, you know. <laughs> he gets away with it because he is. <laughs> <laughs> what, me? Yeah. <laughs> and you know the, so, yeah, where do ideas come from? They come from silly things like that, yeah. you know. Exactly. Yeah. Do you, um, so you don't really count it the writer's block. It's, you know, that, as you said, it just kind of happens, uh, you know, something comes along. But do you kind of find sometimes in a story, it's like, okay, I've taken it so far, and it's like, I'm not quite sure where to take it next? Yes, in fact, the, the book um, that I, I finished, but um, only I'm just waiting for a reader to read it, you know. And um, I got stuck on it uh, a while ago. And last year when I went over to France, and I was walking along the Atlantic, and the huge, huge waves you get there, and just, just, just slapped. And I thought, oh, gosh, hang on, I've started. And I managed to do, in about a three-week period, about another 50,000 words. So uh, just came, the whole, re the whole of the rest of the book came. So, so you know, sometimes it's so just relax. Yeah. Hmm? Well, just as a writer can get an interruption in writing a book, we can get it here on the Internet. So sorry, folks, we had a little drop there. And we were talking about, you know... Um, how the inspiration can come sometimes when you're writing something and it just doesn't have anywhere else to go for the moment and yet you just wait until something inspires you and the story picks right back up and you can go back to finishing it and so it's don't beat yourself up if, if you kind of come into a roadblock on a story right no uh it's you know some people get hung up about it but actually it's sometimes better to just think about it as a period to go back and read it all the way through again and quite often that's a good way of unblocking yourself and you can see opportunities where a, a scene's missing in fact um, for the for the new book J&K Forever um, I thought I'd finished it and about two months on because I was waiting for readers to you know I would have somebody to read it first for me 
And then I suddenly woke up in the middle of the night and said, nope, that's not how it ends. I need a completely new ending. And um, so and then I got to busy writing it. And it made such a difference to the book and how, how you feel about it at the end. It was a bit, a bit of a downer um, in, the, in the first draft. And that second draft, although it's still pretty miserable, it's um, nevertheless, it's, it, it was a, a good action scene which drew out the real character of uh, Jaina, the girl in it. Right. Yeah, it's a, revisiting things sometimes is a, is a better way of looking at it. Um, um, because, as you said, you see things from a different perspective. And so don't just send it out willy-nilly, you know, because the demand is there or whatever. Um, as you said, get someone else to read it and then revisit it is it the ending or you know has the storyline honored where you wanted it to go yeah well not just that but uh, does it fulfill its brief in other words you know what's it all about yeah um there are some writers who like patrick ness for instance always writes the last line of his book first well i just couldn't do that because i have no idea where it's going to go but i mean the, for me the journey is the exploration of where it's all going to go is the important part and I like that discovery but I'll, I will work usually one or two chapters ahead so that I make notes um, think well this could happen that could happen um, you know it's not entirely random if you know what I mean right exactly so you have kind of a general thing of what the journey is going to be like like things happening along the way but how they happen is something that you that you just discover yourself in your writing Yes, I mean, right at the beginning, she's had a, a dream about where they're going to go. But uh, that gets frustrated the whole time. That they're just probably not going to get there. But so they have to learn that, that you don't always get what you think you're going to dream, and you need to like what you find, if you know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and that really sometimes can be the dream if you uh, don't dictate what the dream should be. Um, to write a book where you know somebody dreams, oh, I'm gonna you know become rich and famous and whatever, but of sometimes to some people, becoming rich and famous is the worst possible thing yeah. that could happen to them. You know, yeah, it's not always what it's cracked up to be, is it? Hmm. So although I'm very disciplined. Although I'd like to have a go. Sorry. <laughs> I'd like to have a go at it though. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Nice. I, I and that you know how many authors are rich and famous? Not everybody is a J.K. Rowling, um, but you know it's don't write to become rich or famous, right? Um, you know, write because it's something that is that really draws you. It's, it's your passion. It's your conviction. But uh, you know there aren't very many people who can churn out a book and then that's it. You know they're millionaires. No. Uh, actually, they published a list in the Sunday Times today of the, the wealthiest authors, and J.K. was still number one at twenty odd million this year, um, which is not bad going, really, is it? No, no. Uh, uh, yes, I, somebody asked me the other day, you know, why I bother to write, and so clearly don't make that much money out of it. And I said, well, actually, I wouldn't know what else to do. That's that's what I've always done. Mm -hmm. I'm a writer. That's how I exist. It's like asking a painter, uh, you know to stop you know yeah. uh, why would you? yeah I mean uh, that's the thing is that's your inspiration that's your calling that's your art uh, that's your gift to the world you know this is how you're serving the world is through your books uh, as yeah. I said, you, you know your, your books aren't just something you pick up read and then put down and forget your books always leave you with thought food for thought uh, to chew over and so in a lot of ways you're making people look at life in a different way that they can apply even to their own lives uh, sometimes it's nice. Uh, I occasionally get an email from uh, some kid somewhere who's read it, and it's med meant something to them, you know, and that's really nice when that happens. Yes. Uh, my book, uh, one of my early books, The Repossession, is now out in Turkish called Toz, T-O-Z, and uh, I have no idea what they've done to it, because I tried one of those things where you take the synopsis and put it in from Turkish to English, and it um, seems to be the book is about dust. <laughs> anyway, I have no idea what's in this book, but they've done a lovely job on it. It's a beautiful hardback, and um, I'm just wondering, um, you know, any Turkish readers read it. <laughs> yeah, and of course, when it comes to translation, you can't do word for word because you know there's different ways of presenting things. No. So, yeah, but I mean, at least it's good. It's getting out there in other languages, so 
That's yeah, and it'll come out in um, France in October. Right, that's it. So that's nice. That's good. You know, so um, and I'll be there in October. So hopefully, um, I'll find someone to persuade to, to buy it, as it were. But uh, it's quite fun to when your books do get translated. You know. Exactly, exactly, because it just means it's reaching more people. Um, mm. You know, um, is there a particular time period that should be for writing a book, or is it just let it happen? And again, if it's not working, shelf it and come back to it. You know, is there, or if it's not written by this time, then leave it alone. Um, no, I don't think so. It's uh, sometimes people overlabor a book, and one of the worst sins often is that people keep rewriting the first chapter, rewriting it and not moving on. Mm. And quite often it's good to move on. And you may actually discard that first chapter, but as long as you've moved on, yeah. uh, and then it'll speak to you. If the book isn't speaking to you after you're about halfway, well, sometimes it has to, you have to have the courage to abandon it. I mean, I do have one or two books that I think, you know, that doesn't quite work. But then others, do, uh, suddenly you can say, gosh, I can use that bit in this book. Right. Yeah, or go back to that theme, but with uh, a better set of circumstances. So, you know, you can rework ideas, or they can become something else, like a, a play or whatever, screenplay. Right. Yeah, or even sometimes simply a blog, right? It just depends what it's designed to do, you know, what Absolutely. it needs to yeah. do. Yeah. So, um, are uh, you know places you've visited, uh, you know, an inspiration for your books? Or do you go to a particular country and go, oh, I have to write a book around this? Well, I mean, a lot of my stories take place in Vancouver, as you know. So uh, that has always been an inspiration for me. Um, it's uh, I don't know why. It's just like, you know, suddenly how a certain city clicks, and it's always clicked for me for writing. Um, I like the backdrop, like the city, just like the people so you know I get something out of that uh, and also my other place to write is down on the Atlantic coast in France I don't know what it is it must be something to do with the weather or the, the sea air but um, they have some great little seaside cafes in the dunes where I go and sit and drink far too strong coffee and <laughs> madly write you know and I enjoy that so yeah so obviously, and I mean, that's you know, when you draw that inspiration, that's what kind of gets the creative juices going, isn't it? And also, uh, just, I don't know, it was a couple of months ago, I was in a cafe in London, and there's this guy, do you mind if I share the table? And we got talking, and he was an Iranian uh, refugee who uh, was a, is a doctor, and um, had come over here, who was having to learn English and whatever, but we had a really lively conversation and it was it was just a really nice moment, you know. Yeah. Was someone uh, who wanted to talk, but hadn't found anyone really to discuss the things that he was concerned about. At the same time, I was interested to see how the hell he he'd, he'd got out and how he was adapting, etc. It was interesting, you know. And so we're going to clear about it. this as a character in one of your books down the road. Well, maybe, but it's just you know, if you don't talk to people. Yes. You, you know, a writer can't, in isolation, you've got to talk to people. Yes, I 100% agree with that, you know, and I think that's why I go to coffee bars, it's when I want to talk to people, um, because that interaction becomes your inspiration, doesn't it, and uh, what we learn from others when we're willing to listen to their story. So, you know, that's, that's another way of getting a story, isn't it, being inspired like you, you did with your Spanish waitress. You know, yeah. learning other people's stories, and then you know they become a character in a book, you know, an inspiration for something, and that's kind of honouring their story in a lot of ways. Yeah, uh, that's actually a moment. There's a young girl called Emily who's um, decided that she's going to do the cover for my next book, and she's doing some illustrations for it. And, um, and she showed me a little bit yesterday. You know, still got some way to go, but it's. I love the fact that she believes she can do this. You know, and it's really nice. And she loves one of the characters um, who actually is a 12-year-old who goes out killing rats. And I won't tell you any more about that story. But, um, <laughs> but she just like, that, that's what I want to draw, you know? Yeah. Very so you inspired her. Yeah. yeah. And that's the beauty of it, isn't it? Spreading that inspiration yeah. because it becomes illumination, which is wonderful. Who has yeah. inspired you? What authors have inspired you? Um, I have uh, three favorite authors at the moment. Um, Paolo Bacigi Gallupi, 
who wrote um, Shipbreaker in particular, which I really like, and um, uh, Lee Bardugo, who wrote the Grisha series. I find her amazing. She's um, a writer from, I don't know where she is, she's American, but um, she's interesting because she has um, a disability. So quite often some of her characters also have disabilities. Mm -hmm. And I like that aspect of it because they're still heroes, Yes. right? Yes. But they're, you know, they're compromised in some way. And I like that because she brings her flaw into it that makes it heroic. And I think that's great, you know. Yes. Yes. I mean, you know, it's... Uh I remember one person saying to me when I was interviewing them about, you know, disability, and she said, the only disability I have is people's perception of me. And I felt that yeah. was very profound. Uh, and, you know, if they can't do something one way, they find another way of doing it. And uh, yeah. become that inspiration, which is wonderful. Um, you know, uh, you know, e-books versus paperback or hardback, what's your favorite? How do you mean? Uh, you know, what... Do you do you like to read an e-book? Would, be, would you prefer your books are in e-books? Uh, no, I prefer. Traditional? I mean, occasionally I read e-books if I can't get hold of the uh, paper. Actually, there are no bookshops where I live now. Um, they're all gone. So uh, quite often, you know, instead of ordering it and waiting for it to come, I'll read it on on the iPad. But in actual fact, I prefer to read in paper. There's nothing um, about a good book in your hand, is there? You know, it's just... It's, it's just not that, it's just the battery doesn't die. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's a little thing, but it's, it's important <laughs> to me. I'd rather, you know, I want to carry on reading now. I've got to get plenty recharged the thing, you know. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, uh, you know, uh, plays are very, very important, and you've written a few plays uh, in your time. Any more plays to come? No, I don't think so. No, I've did, I did my period of radio drama, but uh, that's that's done. But I enjoyed it when I did it, and um, it was quite immediate. You know, I did about thirty-five hours of radio drama, and that's quite a lot. Yeah, it is. Uh, the last few hours of it were really difficult. You'd imagine that if you're if you were the lone writer doing Game of Thrones <laughs> episode by episode, you'd get you would get mad. Yes. Yeah, and sure, there's more inspiration team. to draw from, right, yeah. Uh, there's a whole team on there, yeah. No. Yeah, exactly. Um, publishing, you know, what do you think of self-publishing as to mainstream publishers? Well, um, I've been published mainstream, and my mainstream publishers are doing it in translation, but I was pretty, pretty disappointed with the, the last publisher, I have to say. Um, so I am publishing my own uh, because I can. Um, obviously, in, it's very hard to make any money out of self-publishing. Much easier with non-fiction, by the way. I mean, if I had my uh, another place to um, die end time, if I had called another place to die at, I think I would be a millionaire. <laughs> yes. I have to agree with you because I interview people on on self-help <laughs> books and things like that, and and they are more mainstream and promoted more today. And of course, people need yeah. publicists to to get them out there to do interviews and, uh, and to be very much proactive in their own promoting of their books. And uh, there are a lot of mainstream publishers around that are smaller, you know, that get out there and support the smaller uh, genres. And, and I seem they seem to be replacing those big giants that are seem to have gone to sleep. We are in a period of major transition. Um, newspapers are dying. And uh, with that, by the way, could very well jeopardize magazines because magazines delivery depends upon newspapers it just cuts down the cost etc um, we're in a yes in a big change self-publishing is great as long as people exercise the discipline of making sure it's edited spell-checked presented well and there are a lot of people who just throw stuff out there without thought and regard to that and that's not how you make way in the world you know yeah. Um, you know, the same person may may take particular attention to how they look when they go out on the street or on a date. You've got to do the same with the book. You've got to, you know, do the work, make sure it looks good in the mirror. Yeah, stand by it. And uh, when it comes to reviews, you know, don't take them personally if they're negative because that's just somebody else's perspective. Uh, you yeah. know, um, and, uh, you know, you've least provoked a thought. Um, yes, although, you know, I've been touch wood. I've had some nice reviews from my books, which is good. Uh, and 
that can only help, you know. Uh, in general, most people don't review their books. I mean, I know it's easy to do that now on Goodreads, etc. Um, but most people just read and move on, you know. Yes. Yeah, um, and, you know, and, and, you know, folks, I'm going to encourage you, please, to review. You know, not only does it encourage other people, but, you know, sharing what the story meant to you not only helps the author know what the readers like, but it shows other readers that are looking for a book what inspired you. So please do share. I think my problem is that my readers tend to be young, so they're not used to and don't know how to write review. They know how to be rude about things pretty good, but writing uh, constructive reviews. But I was talking at a school just recently, and it was really nice that the kids were, they had, you know, some of them had reread it, read it before I arrived. And so they asked really interesting questions you know, mm-hmm. and that was great. That doesn't always happen, you know. Also, also, kids feel quite intimidated in a crowd, sticking their hand up and saying, do you mind if I ask you a question about something? And, uh, but in this, I was quite lucky in this particular school to have some really nice kids who, who felt, felt quite passionate about it, you know. Uh, you know, somebody said that reading is going out of thing, nobody's going to read anymore, which I totally disagree, and, and I'm seeing that books are coming back actually ebooks are going down uh, printed books yeah. are coming back and you know you know you can watch a great movie or tv show but really when it comes down to it a book gives you something totally different doesn't it yeah well actually it, you absorb it yeah you no, become it, it. you become the leading true. role yes true into your mind and uh, will stay with you whereas t- tv for some reason um, i know that there's a study on it for some reason it's very hard for you to remember what you've seen but a book is, perhaps because it's slower, is um, absorbed right into your brain, and a good book will make a difference to your life. As I pointed out right in the beginning there, you know, your books are, uh, books are thought-provoking, you know, that there may be, you know, a, a fantasy or a story going this way or going that way, but, you know, you always leave something to think about uh, and in, in a reflection of our own choices in life, which I think is a mark of a very good author. Well, I hope so, anyway. But so anyway, J&K is the, the new one, and they, the two kids in it are... I mean, the interesting thing about it, they have been raised to believe there's a place where they have. It's, you know, it's a sanctuary, etc., no matter how cruel and horrible it is, and that the rest of the world is pretty horrible. And, and you're thinking, oh, well, I'm going to tell you that outside there was wonderful. When they get out, and they realize, my God, it's worse than they said. Yeah. And that is the greatest disappointment. My God, they told us the truth. And they had never, it had never occurred to them. They'd always thought they'd been lied to. Yes. And I think that's, that, was, uh, that was my, the, the nice little thing I thought I would do with that, in a way, is that, you know, now what? How yeah. the hell have I survived this now? Right. And, and you know, uh, anyway. You, human beings are incredible creatures. We're so good at creating shit and putting ourselves in the doo-doo. But at the same time, we're also amazing people that can rise to the occasion. And it, you know, really, just comes down to which kind of hero are you going to be in your own story, right? Yeah. So it's up to us, and your books can really show people that reality, uh, because you always put a reality in your books. Uh, you know. Well, yeah, it's actually, everything that the has been abolished. So if you think about that too. The whether it's the Taliban or the ISIS, they ban you know everything. So. Uh, and everything in the city has been taken to the scraps where it has all been uh, banned or burned or whatever, destroyed. But when the, the kid gets there and realizes that well, nothing has been destroyed, because one of the things they did was um, abolish electricity. So they actually found it physically impossible to destroy a lot of the things. And so you've got all the sort of everything that ever was of our time is all still there. And. Um, I that, that's when I wanted that. So he just like the it must be like Aladdin's cave, sixty years on, to realise there are cars and planes and everything. They're all intact, but they will never move. Yes, I know. Yeah, it, it's I say thought provoking, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, and it's and the world that we're very dangerously you know driving on the highway towards, and you know we we really need to kind of put a stop to that, and uh, so. You know, not only are the books entertaining, but the thought-provoking and at the same time educating. Um, so it's, um, you know, you, you want a book that, you know, is a great story that you really did enjoy, but if it doesn't leave you with, uh, you know, a aha moment or a question, then it hasn't served. 
and your books certainly do serve. So how do people find your books, love? How do they? Uh, they're all on Amazon and uh, they're either in print or in Kindle or Kindle app. So you could read them on um, iBook as well. Um, so yeah, all on Amazon and uh, it's pretty good. It's also Amazon.ca now as well as .com, .uk, every, every country wherever Amazon are. And, uh, uh, and your site, how people can get hold of you? Uh, SamHawksmore.com, very simple. And I have been known to reply to the odd email. <laughs> um, um, uh, and, uh, and you obviously do speak in engagements and you do go around uh, speaking to you know, anything from schools, adults, anywhere. You uh, get out there and kind of share uh, being the author. Yes, I've actually I spoke in a library just recently, and um, and there was one woman asking a question, and she went to sleep halfway through half a question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So preferably you would like people that are awake. <laughs> would sleep. you like to prod her? I asked, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah. These are your, your new books, uh, J and K Forever, and um, uh, Marie Curran, Another Place to Die, and you must read re uh, Repercussions of Thomas D. And then look at also the repossessions and the heaviness, and uh, uh, that trilogy as well, because it's absolutely fascinating. And uh, you know, numerous other books that you have written. You know, you're somebody that really does pour his heart and soul into everything, and and uh, leave people wanting more. So, thank you for following your path in life. Okay, thank you, Sarah, for having me on. Uh, books are wonderful, folks. They really do answer many, many things that you've got questions that you didn't even know you were asking. Um, they really do entertain, and they really do leave food for thought. And please read Sam Hawks more books because you will really find that they will satisfy. And you know, uh, they're written a lot of them for the the junior. Um, uh, genre but as an adult you'll get something totally different out of it so this is something your teens could read and you can read and then you could have a wonderful discussion about it so it could be something that really helps you communicate with your teens so read the book together thank you so much for sam being with us here today and uh, folks don't forget go to amazon.com sam hawksmore books purchase one of the books i promise you you will not regret it bye for now <laughs>